morning, everyone. Happy Mother's Day. Yeah, we could turn this down just a tad. There we go. That's good. You guys can see your Bibles now, and I can see you. That's always a good thing. Hey, welcome. Uh, I'm so glad to be back. I'm so glad to see everyone. I'm glad to see everyone outside there in the other Harvest campuses. Happy, happy Mother's Day. You know, before we even talk about Ephesians, I, I want to say that moms are a great role model. In fact, in Isaiah 49, God says, can a mother forget her nursing child or fail to have compassion upon her? And then he says, I will never forget. He compares himself to a nursing mother. Isn't that cool? And uh, so God says, moms are my role model for faithful love. And then also uh, in 1 Thessalonians 2, the apostle Paul says, we were gentle among you, among the Thessalonians, like a nursing mother. So the apostle Paul saw, saw his pastoral ministry uh, modeled. He also talks about being like a father to them, but also like a mother. So think about it. God and the apostle Paul used moms as role models. Why shouldn't we men? Don't you think? That would be a really good example for us to be faithful in our love and gentle uh, with our families and our friends because of what God's word says about moms. So thank you, moms, for giving us that great example. Uh, I hope you have a, just a great, great Mother's Day today. And uh, also make your husband do the food and the dishes and everything. <laughs> I'm getting a lot of mean stares right now. Uh, Excuse me. One of my favorite characters from film and play is Tevye the Dairyman in Fiddler on the Roof. Do you remember Tevye? Some of you remember him. I was talking with some of our uh, team out there in the uh, in the booth, and they said, "No, not really." So I'll let everyone know, Fiddler on the Roof is on, available on Prime, and it's G-rated, and uh, it would be good to see. It might be a fun movie to watch with your family. Uh, <clears throat> early on, Tevye, who's a poverty-stricken Eastern European Jew in the Russian Empire, uh, at the turn of the century, sings a song called, If I Were a Rich Man. And... What he says is, if I were rich, I'd build a big, tall house. There'd be so many rooms, they'd have a fine tin roof. Uh, He talks about how there'd be one long staircase coming down and another one going up uh, even longer. And uh, he talks about how he'd have a yard full of chicks and ducks and geese. He'd have his wife with a proper double chin. And uh, he also says... If I were rich, I'd have the time that I lack to sit in the synagogue and pray and maybe have a seat by the eastern wall, the eastern wall being closest to Jerusalem. And, uh, and I discuss the holy books with the learned men several hours every day. That would be the sweetest thing of all. Oh, Tevye is such a great example of daydreaming, of longing to be rich when he is poor, of thinking about all that he would do were he rich. I think most of us do that sometimes. 
If I win the lottery, I'd quit my job. Or some people might say, I win the lottery, I'm moving to Hawaii. Uh, I'd buy a bigger house, I'd get a new car. I don't know what it is that we're gonna say, but we all long for that day when we're going to be rich, and what would we do? Now, uh, I think that believers sometimes make a mistake. We operate in exactly the opposite way. We're spiritually rich already, possessing immense spiritual riches, but we don't daydream about how to live as spiritually rich. Instead, we live as paupers. We live poverty-stricken spiritual lives, even though we possess immense wealth. And so today what we're going to look at is what Paul says. He starts the paragraph that we're going to look at with the words, for this reason. And it reflects back on all that Paul has taught in the book of Ephesians thus far. And if you remember, we're studying about how to uh, live out our eternal portfolio, all the wealth that we have. And what Paul is saying now is, here's my prayer for you, Ephesians, that you would really grasp the wealth that you have and live according to it. This is a transition paragraph. It's at the end of the major section in Ephesians about the wealth that we possess. And we're moving right into the next chapter, chapter four, about the walk that we'll have in light of our wealth. And what this paragraph is doing is Paul's prayer for the Ephesians that they would be able to understand their wealth and move forward. And so he says, for this reason, for this reason, I pray these things for you that you might understand your wealth. And I think we are beginning to get a grasp as we've been going through Ephesians about what wealth we have. Let's think about it. Uh, we have the riches of redemption that's described in chapters, chapter one. The father planned it, the son provided it, and the Holy Spirit preserves it. Then we had chapter two, first 10 verses, which deal with the riches of regeneration. We were dead, but God made us alive. And then 2.11 through 22 deals with the riches of reconciliation. God reconciled people from every background, Jew and Gentile, every ethnic group, to be one. He reconciled us to himself so that we can be reconciled to each other. And then chapter three, which we looked at last week, I wasn't with you, but whoever looked at it with you, is about the riches of revelation, that God revealed to us this great mystery of spiritual equality. Yes, it was known that Gentiles would be saved in the Old Testament. What wasn't known is that Jew and Gentile and all people would be spiritually equal before God. That was the secret that God revealed in the church. And that's a great riches, the, the equality that God has provided. And so with all these riches, Paul is now praying for them, for us, that we would learn to live in light of that wealth. And so what I'd like to do is have us all stand. We're going to read Ephesians chapter 3, beginning with verse 14. We're going to stand to honor God's word. I'll read, you follow along, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Some of you are saying, I brought all my books and now I have to drop them. It's okay, just for a moment. Uh, 
Ephesians 3, beginning with verse 14 and going through verse uh, 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Messiah Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Messiah that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in all the church and in Messiah Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen? Have a seat. This paragraph opens with this very interesting idea. For this reason, reflecting back on the wealth as we just talked about, it gives us, I believe, a model. If Paul's praying for these believers in Ephesus to appreciate their wealth and live according to it, well, shouldn't we pray this, this same prayer? Uh, it gives us a model how we should pray for our enablement to live according to the wealth that God has granted us as followers of Jesus. Here's it's, it's saying, we should pray that God enable us to live spiritual lives in accordance with our great spiritual wealth. We should pray that our spiritual lives would reflect our spiritual bank accounts. Our walk with God should, we're praying, God, let my walk with you be in accordance with the wealth that you have given me. That's what this whole paragraph's about. And it really teaches us three principles of how to pray to live out our wealth. Here's the first principle. We should pray with a needy attitude or a humble attitude. Uh, what I found was uh, sometimes we, we come to God and we're even taught by some people to pray in a, almost a, uh, an aggressive way. Hold God accountable. Have you ever heard anyone say that? Name it and claim it. Some people have even said, I've heard, that we are to pray because we've got God over a barrel. That's terrible teaching. This passage says, I bow my knees that reflects a needy attitude. It reflects the humility that we should have. Uh, you know, I was in Jerusalem, and I'm hoping that many of you will join Mike Van Lanningham and I as we lead a harvest trip to Jerusalem in about a year and a half. Uh, you can find out all about that at the Harvest website. But mostly what I think of in Jerusalem is that all the beggars, there are a lot of beggars in Jerusalem. And the reason, the closer you get to the holiest spot, which is the Western Wall, the, the beggars actually increase because they know you feel guilty going there to this holy place and you can, they can put out their hand and 
you can give them some money. And so there's a lot more beggars. The closer you get to the Western Wall, the beggars increase. And sometimes you just have to keep walking. But I had this one experience. I was there walking to the Western Wall, and this guy was there that whole week I was there in Jerusalem. Every time I got near the Western Wall, he was there, and he'd walk up to me and go, One shekel! One shekel! I'm like, really? It was as if he was saying, what would it hurt you to give me one stinking shekel? And I thought, that's just not the attitude a beggar should have. (laughs) He acted not like he was humble or needy. He was demanding. And this passage says, I bow my knees. I think that's really kind of interesting. You may not find it interesting, but the typical Jewish mode of prayer is head up, arms up, no kneeling. It's very rare to kneel. Partially this developed with Jewish people because they didn't want anyone to think by the time they got to the first century that they were kneeling before idols. So this is the Jewish posture of prayer. And yet Paul says, I'm bowing like I'm bowing before a king. I am needy. Now this is not talking about a position. You can bow all you want. It's talking about bowing within us, recognizing, recognizing our need before the Father. That's what bowing is. You know, when, when we really want something, we bow down and plead. That shows our need. So he says, I bow my knees, and it shows his dependent attitude to the Father. I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. That doesn't just show need, it shows dependence. He is our Father. He is the one that will provide the answer to this prayer. I hope that we all, when we think of fathers, We think of a dad who lovingly meets the needs of kids. Jesus talked about that. If you know how to give good gifts to your children, he said. Uh, So he obviously recognizes, he actually says, if you being evil, sin, depraved people, know how to be giving good gifts to your children, that shows what dads are supposed to be, providing. And uh, that's our father. The concept of father doesn't come from family, as Freud said. Uh, Freud says that the human family has a father and that's where we get our concept of God. That's not true. This is saying the idea that God is our father is where we get the idea of a father and a family. <laughs> it's really kind of interesting. Uh, it's We're patterned after our father who is God and every family in heaven and on earth is named after that. That idea of having a father... Fathers are the ones that are supposed to provide. Now, I know moms provide too. I'm not saying, obviously, on Mother's Day. But fathers, that's the idea. I remember when my kids were growing up and they got to a certain age and they needed certain things for school or you know, they, when they were teenagers but they already had cars and the car broke down and they didn't have money to fix it or something like that happened even when they were in college. They would always call mom. It was interesting that we call mom because she was a little bit easier on those issues. And I love what Eva would always say. Wow, this sounds like a call for the bank of dad. 
Got to ask your dad. And uh, the bank of dad often provided for those boys. Uh, Really important to remember that it is the bank of dad that we pray to. The father who provides for us. So we start out praying with a humble attitude. Recognizing our need and recognizing our dependence on God. That's the kind of attitude we need to have. Beware any TV preacher who talks about putting God over the barrel, of being demanding with God. Yeah, we can claim promises. My kids would do that too. Dad, you promised. But never ever in a way that is anything less than humble. Second, we should pray for specific spiritual benefits. There are four of them in this passage. Four specific spiritual benefits that we should pray for. The first one is we should pray for the strengthening of our spiritual lives. That's something that actually, how many of us actually pray that our spiritual lives would be strengthened? We pray about needs. We pray about all the things that we want. We pray about health. We pray about stuff. How many of us say, oh Lord, strengthen my spiritual life? Because it says here, uh, we bow our knees to the Father that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner being. We need to pray that we would be strengthened with power. That means powerfully strengthen us in the inner man. That's referring to the spiritual aspect of our lives, the immaterial aspect of our lives. It is saying that we are praying that his spirit, it actually says that we'd be granted power through his spirit, the Holy Spirit, who is the instrument of strengthening and that our inner man, our inner being would grow. We need spiritual strengthening and we should be praying for it. Uh, I, I find that this is not something that people often pray for. How do I know that? I don't often pray for it. I usually pray for it after I've confessed sin and I think, oh God, what a loser I am. I've been a believer now. It's going to, I'm, I'm actually in my 50th year as a follower of Jesus. It'll be 50 years, about one year from now. Start of the 50th. It's not so much to applaud, I'll tell you why, because I act much younger than I am. <laughs> and that's, we need to pray that God would activate the power we have already residing in us. That's what we need to be praying. It's something that should be regular in our prayer list. We need to feed the inner man. I think that's really an important part of it. That's one of the things that we're doing. In Romans chapter 8, verses 4 and 5, it says this, uh, that, uh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk according, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. In other words, we need to feed the inner man. 
we need to set our minds on things of the Spirit as we're praying this. That means feeding our inner man with the Word of God, with worship, uh, with washing through confession. Uh, all those things are important, but it starts with praying for spiritual strengthening. Second, we should pray for the Messiah's control of our lives, that he would control us. It says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is not talking about him coming in when we believe. It is actually talking about that every believer has Messiah's indwelling. The Messiah, Jesus, dwells in us all by his spirit. There are two words in Greek for indwelling. Uh, one word means a temporary indwelling. It's, like a, a, it's used of a stranger in Israel that would come and live there temporarily. That's the word. That's not the word that's used here. The word that's used here is someone who takes permanent residence in our lives. The Spirit has taken permanent residence in our lives. He is dwelling in our hearts. That's a figure for the inner man. He is dwelling in our hearts by faith. We have to trust that. He is there. That's pretty amazing when you think about it. Because I look at my life and I often think, where's the sign of the Holy Spirit? I have to take it by faith. He's there. And of course, he begins to transform my life. But what we are doing is we are praying for the Messiah's control of our lives. Uh, it's not like going, his control is not like he comes to us like we're in Airbnb and then leaves. That's not what it's like. Instead, it's much more like the man who came to dinner. Have you ever seen that play or that movie? It's, uh, of course, it's not a perfect illustration because the man who comes to dinner is really obnoxious. Uh, and the Holy Spirit is not obnoxious. But, uh, but he breaks his leg and never leaves. And he's so obnoxious, the people who keep the family is like, when is he going to leave? And he never leaves, uh, the man who came to dinner. And... Uh, that's what we're promised. The Holy Spirit will never leave us. He has taken permanent dwelling in our lives. And therefore, we need to pray that the Holy Spirit would grasp us and control us. That he may dwell in our hearts as we trust in him. That, that we'd understand that and be transformed by that. So first we pray for the strengthening of our spiritual lives. We should pray for the Messiah's control of our lives through the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, we should pray to comprehend God's love. Now, I don't know if I ever could, but this is what it says, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, see that? May have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. So what it's saying is that we should pray to comprehend God's love, that we are going to be, that we would be rooted. That's the basis of our relationship with him, his love for us, that we would be rooted in it the way an oak tree is rooted in the soil, rooted in his love. Or grounded or founded in his love. Founded refers to the foundation of a building. Think about this building. If it didn't have a good foundation, what would happen to this huge building? It would just collapse. We need to understand that his love 
is the root of our relationship with him and the founding of our relationship with him. These are, are, this is crucial for us to understand that we would understand the length and width and height and depth of that love. I, I don't think I could possibly grasp it, but think about it. When we think about the length, how long does God love us? From eternity to eternity. He loved us before the foundation of the world and he will love us forever. That's what it means by the length of his love. The width of his love, how wide does his love extend? For God so loved the world. He loves the whole world enough that he loved Jew and Gentile, all the nations to bring them into his family if they would believe. That's the width of his love. The height, how high does it reach? It reaches to the heavenly places. Here we are on earth with lots of transitory love relationships and in heaven, all the way up in heaven, the eternal God loves us forever. The height of his love and the depth, how deep the Father's love for us, it's deep enough to send the Messiah to reach down to the miry clay, to the pit and drag us out and forgive our sins. Oh, if we would ever grasp the length and width and height and depth of his love. We keep thinking that God is like a human being whose love can be transitory, who can stop and go. No. That, what a prayer. God, help me to understand how much you love me. There's, and this is the most amazing thing. He loves each and every one of us the same. If you have a good day, you know, you get up in the morning early, 5 a.m., read the scriptures for an hour, pray for another half hour, right? Then you make lunches for the kids, you have a great day, moms, uh, and then everything is just wonderful. You go to work, you're on time, everything, you're diligent, you don't forget appointments, everything is just great. Then at the end of the day, you think, of course God loves me. What's not to love? (laughs) Then other days you wake up late, don't have any time in the word, don't pray, get a ticket on the way to work. And then, and then you get into some conflicts, you forget your lunch appointment and all of a sudden you're, you're behind in your work. Things are going terribly. You come home, there's no dinner made. The kids are screaming. You have to help with homework. You have a project due when? How could God love me? I just want you to know the depth of God's love, the height of his love, the length of his love, the width of his love never changes. He will never love us more or less than he does right now. Isn't that amazing? He loves us. Oh, what a prayer that we would understand God's love. What should it do? It's crucial for our spiritual lives. 
Because if we understand we are in a love relationship, it will affect how we live. You know, uh, often when someone comes to faith, when someone trusts in Jesus with me, I say, you have now entered a love relationship. And now I love my wife. I really do love my wife. You guys don't even have a clue how much I love my wife. Uh, And here's the thing about having a love relationship, okay? You want to talk to the one you love, right? My kids used to say, you know, I know, you know, they were in high school and we'd come home and I'd come home from school and Eva would be there and, uh, and they'd say, yeah, yeah, we know dad, you and mom need your minutes. <laughs> it was like, go away, because we wanted to talk. And we want to listen to the one we love. Really listen. Uh, we want to Please the one we love. We talk about the one we love. Isn't that true? Everyone knows about my wife. Because I talk about her all the time. I can't help it. But let me tell you, if we want to talk to the one we love, we need to talk to our, our Father in heaven. We need to listen to the Lord. He's spoken to us through his word. We need to read it. We need to uh, please the one we love, will obey him. That's what pleases him. Understanding God's love will also make us not want to stop talking about the one we love to everyone that that would be willing to hear. I know I do annoy people sometimes when I talk about Eva. It's like enough already with your wife, Michael. Okay. Well, they also feel that way sometimes when I talk about the Lord who loves me. Okay. It will affect our spiritual lives if we understand what kind of love relationship we have entered. So, we should pray strengthening of our spiritual lives. Second, for Messiah's control by his spirit of our spiritual lives, that we would comprehend God's love. And here's the fourth item we should pray for. We should pray to experience God's fullness. Look at the second half of verse 19, Ephesians 3:19. It says, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Pray that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. This is talking about being filled with the full measure of God in our lives. It's like I used to talk about things when I first came to faith. I used to tell my mom, Mom, I'm not going to be a fanatic like you. This is saying that we would pray that we would become fanatics that we would have a full measure of God working in our lives. It means God filling every aspect of our being. You know, you can't put all the ocean in an eight-ounce glass. That's a full measure. I mean, imagine having all of God. That's like the ocean. He can't fit in me. I've got to tell you that. Uh, But I can have a full eight ounces if I am an eight-ounce glass of ocean water, right? It can fill an eight ounce. Every particle of my life can be filled with God. I, I, I can be filled with the full measure of God. It's possible. Here's the problem why I am not always filled with the full measure of God. It's a little scary. And so it's, it's sort of like, 
Remember, how many of you remember when people filled your gas tank? Do you remember that? Uh, even when I first started driving, you could choose to do your own tank or have someone fill it. But in New Jersey, which is the light at the end of the tunnel, which was scary, uh, and New Yorker, for New Yorkers like me. But anyway, we, if you we went to New Jersey, the law said that they had to fill your tank. And sometimes I was so broke, I'd be in Jersey, the guy would come up and say, fill it up. And I'd say, no, just $2, please. I think sometimes when we think we're praying, God, fill my life, I just like $2, please. Not the full measure, just $2. I don't want all of it because it'll overwhelm me. D.L. Moody, remember the most famous thing he said? Someone said the world, said to Moody, the world has yet to see what would what God would do with a man fully devoted to him. He said, by God's grace, I'll be that man. He wanted the full measure of God. We just don't want to ask God for $2 worth, please. We want it all. We need to be praying for the full measure of God in our lives. Now, I'm kind of scared. If I really took these prayers seriously, God will answer He'll answer your prayers, he'll answer my prayers. And then what will the world see? A person fully devoted to him. I always think uh, about Wesley who said, set yourself on fire, the world will watch you burn. That's what's gonna happen. Uh, It'll be the greatest testimony we could possibly have if we would have the person, be the person that is full, has the full measure of God. In our lives. Well, first we pray with a dependent attitude. Second, we have specific requests for our spiritual growth. And then third, we praise God. This is the third point. We should praise God for his glorious ability. Here's a benediction in verses 20 and 21 that transitions right now. Chapter 4 starts the, uh, the commands, the exhortations to behavior. But it ends with a benediction, a praise to God. And that's in verses 20 and 21. Verse 20 says that God's ability to answer our prayer has no limits. It says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. He's piling adjective upon adjective. It's a compound word with super superlatives in the original. This is my personal translation. Now to him who's able to do vastly more than more. Or immeasurably and infinitely more. Uh, That is saying uh, God's power, his ability to answer our prayers have no limits. He can do it if we pray this way. Uh, Compared to the sun, which is 93,000 miles away, the reason why we don't burn up is it's so hot because we're far enough away but God's power more powerful than the sun and he's able to answer our prayers uh, the oceans fill two thirds of the earth God's power is far more abundant than the oceans compared to the vastness of the universe God's power is infinitely more limitless this is the power that works in us when we pray. Isn't that amazing? 
God's power also demands that all praise and glory be given to him. It says, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. His glory is demonstrated through his people, that's us, the church, and in Christ Jesus, the Messiah Jesus forever. He always glorifies the Father with what he does. Wow. Let me just say this. What this is saying is when we pray this prayer that we would live out our wealth, God is more than able to answer. Don't you think? And be glorified through us. That's really, really exciting. So don't think, well, I'm going to pray this prayer, but nothing's going to happen. No, what Paul is saying is we pray this prayer for spiritual strengthening. Guess what's going to happen? God's going to answer. It will transform our lives. That's why it's a little bit of a scary prayer, don't you think? I'm not sure I want to be all that different. Yes, we do. I've seen you. You've seen me. Yeah. We pray this prayer. God will transform our lives. We will live in accord with our wealth. Well, I want to take a, just a real quick takeaway. Just remember what this is saying. That we need to pray that our spiritual lives would reflect our spiritual wealth. So how do we, what do we do now in light of that? I want to give you three quick steps to take. First of all, I'd like us all this week till we come back next week. This is the now what? What are we going to do? Take five minutes every day for the next week. Maybe five, just take some time. I don't know, I don't want to limit it to five minutes. But take five minutes every day for the next week to meditate on the riches that we have in Messiah. Go back. Take five minutes a day and review Ephesians 1 through 3 and see all that great wealth. Just take it. Just kind of glance through it and write it down. Review the great wealth that we have. And then when you do that, take five minutes afterwards to pray for each of these requests. And then lastly, ask God to be glorified, to glorify himself in my life and your life. Pray that God will be glorified in your life by answering this prayer. Let's think about it. Here's a prayer. We can do this. We can pray this in about 15 minutes a day for the next week. Who knows what God will do if we pray this way. Now, I want you to know that you may not know something about me, but I was sort of a Jesus freak. And when I was in seminary, the car that even I had was a chartreuse Volkswagen bus. It had, uh, I loved that car. It had yellow shag carpet, an eight track player, mirrored windows. It was a great car. It broke a lot. But the thing that broke the most was the, the link, the what you call it, the the wire, I guess you would say, from the clutch all the way to the engine. It was a long car, had the engine in the back, you push the clutch, and what would happen is every time, uh, well, just periodically, I'd try to put that car into first gear, and I'd hear this boing, 
and I knew the clutch cable broke and I was never putting that car in gear. I think that's sometimes what our spiritual lives are like. We have everything we need, but the cable's broken. I always get my friend Paul to fix the clutch cable for me. Let me tell you, Paul has given us, not the, Paul the Apostle, not my friend Paul. <laughs> he has given us the way to repair that cable in our spiritual lives. It's this prayer that he had for the Ephesians and that we need for ourselves. We need to pray for our spiritual strengthening, that we would live lives in accord with our spiritual wealth. Will you pray that this week? Will you? Say yes, if yes. Okay, let's pray together now. Father in heaven, we want to reattach that cable. We want our lives to reflect all that you have done for us, the great wealth you have given us. God, we pray that you would strengthen us in the inner man, that we'd understand your love, that your Holy Spirit would get control of us. Oh God, we want your full measure. And we pray this in the name of our Redeemer, Jesus.